In this episode of The Kong Gamer, Left for Dead, Portal, and DLC. This was a triumph. I'm making a note here. Huge success. It's hard to overstate my satisfaction. Aperture science. We do what we must because we can. For the good of all of us, except the ones who are dead. But there's no sense crying over every mistake. You just keep on trying till you run out of cake. And the science gets done, and you make a neat gun for the people who are still alive. So welcome everyone to a very voltastic episode of The Kong Gamer, The Kong Gamer episode seven, in fact. And uh, yeah, um, as you would know, as you would have noticed from the opening remarks, um, we will be talking about mostly Valve stuff today. And it's like 6:40 a.m. on a Sunday morning right now, so I'm a little, I guess, for lack of a better term, sleepy. Really, sort of out of it. Still, but you know, um, I'm I'm hoping that just you know talking it out will kind of wake me up and um, stir some thoughts about the games I'm going to talk about right now. And I think it's sort of working right now. Um, so here we go. Um, so in high score, uh, like I mentioned, Left for Dead. So again, in high score, basically talking about games that have come out. And I've been reviewed by other people, but I that I don't necessarily, but you know I haven't necessarily played um, these games. And usually, yeah, I, I actually don't, and I haven't played Left 4 Dead. But this game is very, very interesting, and because it's another unique take on the FPS, on the first-person shooter, um, much like things like arguably, but I disagree. Mirror's Edge. Or perhaps um, on a, in its day, Bioshock and um, the game I'm going to be talking about in Game Over, which is Portal. Um, all of these are pretty much um, they they go around this genre of FPS, or they look like an FPS, but they don't necessarily feel like an FPS or necessarily play like an FPS. To some certain degree, perhaps Gears of War could also be classified under these sort of pseudo-FPSs. Um, I know they consider them third-person shooters, but, you know, still an FPS for as long as you use your mouse to um, basically go around the screen, scroll around the screen, shoot things. For me, that is pretty much an FPS. So Left 4 Dead, uh, basically how it sort of breaks this, um, you know, this mold of FPSs. Uh, it's basically a multiplayer co-op FPS, more than anything. It's a game that is, um, you know, it's pretty simple, really. It's a survival game, mostly, um, but a co-op survival game. So basically you have, it's a play on words, of course, the, the, the title itself, Left 4 Dead, for being F-O-U-R and not F-O-R. And which that tells you is that you are four people. You're basically four survivors that have to, um, what's the word? You have to survive. You have to um, go get through waves and waves of um, 
zombie uh, of zombie attacks and basically survive. Um, I think you have to go from point A to point B or something like that while fending off. There you go. That's a word I was looking for. Fending off all these um, zombie waves. But, you know, I could be wrong. But basically, from what I understand, um, it is just simply a survival game. For as long as you survive long enough, um, one of you at least survives long enough of the four, then you win, basically. Uh, from what I understand, there are several scenarios of the game. And yeah, I guess you, you, you survive for a set amount of time, or at least you survive... Uh, long enough to get from point A to point B, and that basically is the game. Um, it is very much like some other Flash games you might find out there, um, that there's this box, some alien box game or something like that. Um, very interesting. Um, there's also, um, what do you call this? Last Standing, I think? Last Stand? Uh, I believe you can look that up, which actually just came out with a sequel, Last Stand 2, which actually promotes Left 4 Dead, because, yeah, um, Left 4 Dead basically shares the same premise, shares the same idea as these games, that you basically, yeah, exactly, um, you just want to fend off all these waves of zombies, very reminiscent of the, pretty much the movie that started all of this zombie survival, mo uh, survival games and um, movies, which is... Um, wow, I forgot. Uh, was it Rise of the Living Dead? Was it? Uh, or something like that. Even that movie wherein these survivors were stuck in this old mansion, and, you know, they had to fend off all these zombies until the morning. Which is kind of strange to me, because that movie, really, um, was it really uh, Rise of the Living Dead? I think it was, I think it was. Um, again, my 6 o'clock self isn't as sharp as my normal self, but hopefully that's correct. Um, so basically, you have these people in this mansion, and you have all these zombies trying to get in, right? And the stupid thing about this movie, to me, is the thing that's really, really... That breaks the whole fourth wall that is so unbelievable, and, you know... The suspension of disbelief just doesn't exist in, in, this, in this kind of scenario, is that... These zombies are so freaking slow. I mean, they they walk at like they walk basically. They don't run or anything. They don't pose any threat at all. If you just simply, if these guys in this mansion simply walked out of the mansion and jogged, perhaps they could get away from all these freaking zombies. And I don't care how many zombies there are, because even if there were a thousand zombies, there'd still be enough space for you to basically weave through all of them, which is kind of stupid, really. But, <clears throat> again, going back to Left 4 Dead, this is where Left 4 Dead really, really, really is fun, if you ask me, and how different it is from other zombie games, even like Resident Evil. <clears throat> you basically have zombies... Excuse me. Basically have zombies that move uber, uber fast. So, I know that, you know, Resident Evil has sort of the same kind of zombies, there's specific kind of zombies, like the, what was it, Pop, Popperhead, is it? The, those, those Crimson Heads, there you go, Crimson Heads that move a lot faster than normal zombies and everything, but I think there's the first game, Left 4 Dead, that has, you know, well, not the first game, but perhaps the first game that really has really, really just fast-moving zombies. They actually really run at you, they actually move like a normal human being, if not faster. 
You know, that's very, very interesting to me. And, you know, it, it, it just basically heightens that sense of panic that you would have as compared to really slow-moving zombies. I mean, I get the whole suspense thing of, of Resident Evil that you move slowly and these zombies move slowly too and you're basically in these really, really tight corridors, um, very narrow spaces, and that, you know, um, that contributes to the whole suspense survival horror feel of it. But I guess in Left 4 Dead, I mean, you are stuck in all these corridors, all these alleyways from what I've seen in the videos and everything. And yet all these zombies, like, really bum-rush you, basically, right? They just run at you and just try to, and just claw you and kill you almost instantaneously, right? So that's, um, it's a refreshing take, really, on zombie games themselves and even the FPS, that it's basically just a survival thing, and... Again, this is a game that knows what it is. And to me, that is very, very important. It basically sticks to the core design of it and just really iterates itself towards that goal. It doesn't bother people with too many details. It doesn't bother people with too many, you know, things to think about. Um, it's basically just an FPS with a different premise, with a different skin, with a different kind of AI as well. So, you know, it's very, very intelligent evolve to do games like this because you know it's it's almost very bare um not bare but um it's very efficient much like how i treat how i talked about um blizzard last week they could do so much with so little that they haven't even really changed their engine i think ever since um half-life came out i mean i'm sure they half-life 2 i mean uh, i'm sure they they had improvements on the engine itself, but it's basically essentially the same game. I mean, the graphics of this game isn't as pretty as, say, Dead Space, as, say, um, Gears of War, and anything like that, because it is a lower-end engine, I suppose. Um, but then again, uh, the point is that it still looks beautiful. Again, another testament to um, art direction, trumping, simple, you know, detailed art, uh, for as long as there is this artistic um, vision for the game, then it doesn't really matter how old the game is. I mean, technology for video games and for 3D graphics has come to a point that, you know, the last generation was good enough. You know, Resident Evil 4 looked beautiful. Half-Life 2 still looks beautiful. Portal, Portal looks really, really good. I mean, there are people, very anal people out there, who would you know, be dissatisfied with these kinds of graphics, but to me, they look really, really good already, and, you know, I don't need an, uh, better graphics than that. If graph if games stopped in graphically in that level, then I would be happy. Not to say, of course, that I won't be impressed by crisis-like graphics and everything like that, that, you know, it's not going to be um, a step up for the industry if the graphics improve. It will, of course, right? But my point is I would be happy with lesser graphics, and that's fine, right? Um, you know, and, and to some extent, I would actually prefer the less realistic, you know, um, treatment of games, because it's just so weird when, you know, like in a game like Crisis, when I look at that game, and I look at the the human models of the game. They don't look that good at all. I mean, 
everything is so freaking realistic. Then when you suddenly see something that isn't so realistic and, you know, it very, very uncanny Ville type human models, then it just breaks the whole thing. It breaks the whole illusion of realism. And to me, actually, if you ask me what has better graphics or what looks better, not what has better graphics, fine. What looks better, what's more appealing... Will it be Portal or like a game like Crisis? I would definitely just say Portal because it's a more consistent feel. I mean, it doesn't try to be that realistic. It's realistic, but stylistic realistic. So, you know, you know what I mean? So, again, art direction trumping hyper-realistic graphics any day at all. So, yeah, Left 4 Dead, um, not as impressive visually as a lot of the games that are coming out right now, but still a very, very competent... Um, looking game, very, very good art direction. You know, the atmosphere probably isn't as good as Dead Space or, like, Bioshock from what I've seen, but, you know, I guess it's not supposed to be a survival horror game, survival horror game. It's a survival FPS with a zombie theme, I guess. Something like that. That, you know, um, the, the... the horror, the survival horror feel of it doesn't come from the atmosphere and the sounds, I suppose. I'm sure it does, because I've heard some reviews talking about, you know, the ambient noise and basically the zombies um, making all these groaning and moaning and, 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 you know, in the periphery. And when you basically hear these things, you know, it... it, it um, you know, lets all these emotions come out of you. I mean, you know, it just makes you panic, I suppose. Um, but, you know, you know what I mean? It's not from the lighting, per se. It's not from cutscenes that this game gets you. It really is that need to survive. It's more of that that makes it a survival game. That it really does matter. That life you have right now really does matter, as opposed to like Resident Evil or Dead Space, where you can you can keep dying, you keep dying, and that's basically it. You just you know revive from your last save point, or in the case of Dead Space, just revive basically. And you know your life as it is now doesn't even really matter. And you can actually learn what happens in the game in Resident Evil and Dead Space. I mean, or, or Bioshock. I mean, you know what's there. And you basically prepare yourself. Okay, I see that I know that there's a big daddy here. I died just now. What did I do wrong? Kind of thing. But in Left 4 Dead, it's a completely different ballgame. You you only have one life to basically win that scenario. And if you lose that life, then game over, basically, right? Um, And, you know... I I, I hope I'm, I'm articulating myself correctly or, you know, properly when I say that. Basically, it's a game that um, makes you, I don't know, scared, it makes you panic because you only have this one life and one life to live. And it's it's like, it's not like, okay, maybe next time I'll do better because the thing is with this game, it's a random encounter pretty much. The AI director, I, I believe that's what it's called, does a very, very good job of basically tossing um, tossing the players um, really, really random events, unpredictable events, things that are more organic, more natural, not scripted, and things that basically the players cannot learn, um, cannot memorize. It's it's a game that, you know, um, 
really just randomly throws things at you and you know tries to catch you off guard as much as possible all the time. I mean, you know, it's not level design per se, but more like AI design and when all these random encounters occur, when all these random attacks occur. And that's very, very cool, if you ask me. Um, so yeah, in, in that sense, it reinvents the whole survival horror genre in that one life, you only have one life. What are you going to do with it? How much, How long can you survive with that one life? Um, and the thing is, you know, unlike, of course, those Flash games and everything, the AI director, I guess, is a king. Um, Basically, in the Flash games, you just have waves and waves of zombies, right? Okay, they randomly come in intervals and all of that. But unlike the AI director, I think, I I, I believe, I mean, you know, everybody's been giving praises to this AI director and everything. That just, you know, just when you know, when you think you could actually finish a scenario, the, 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 the movie, I think that's what they call it, the movie, the chapter in the game it's going to throw a curveball at you and basically just kill you instantly. Like, I don't know, a zombie coming from above and squashing you and killing you or something like that. I mean, that's what I think um, they mean about the AI director really just throwing something completely unexpected at you and just killing you instantaneously. But, you know, um, Left 4 Dead, um, very, very interesting game to me. I mean, I like also the, the wordplay they use in the game, uh, in the title itself. Um, even the box art is very, very good. I mean, a hand with a, um, with, without a thumb, uh, with a thumb eaten out, bitten out, in fact. And, you know, um, it's a game that is less marketed as are most Valve games. I mean, you know, it's not like Gears of War or Halo or, say, some other games, very, very high-profile games. It's sort of like... If you're a gamer, then you'd know about this game. I mean, of course, it's been marketed, but not so much. I mean, it's not like... It wasn't marketed as much as, say, the Orange Box, I believe. You know, Left 4 Dead is just Left 4 Dead. And I guess that's Valve realizing that's a very niche kind of game. Very fps very survival horror-y. And it's definitely not for everyone. I think it's a pretty difficult game from what I've been hearing. But it's very, very interesting. And again... These are the kinds of games that I really do appreciate people making. I mean, if you can't make a game that's completely new, say like Little Big Planet, and that's even arguable because you could say that Little Big Planet takes some things from previous games. Um, but you know, uh, if you can't make a game that's completely, completely new, then I really do appreciate games that take the old and make it into new. So. While this might have an FPS skin and FPS feel and a survival horror kind of um, atmosphere and everything, I do appreciate everything it does new um, and a definitely and definitely a buy for me. Left for Dead, um, another PC buy, and I'm happy that it's a title that isn't an EA game for once. Um, not to say that I don't, you know, I don't support EA. Like I said last week, um, I really, really like what they're doing, especially here in the Asian region, making cheaper games available to us and available to us immediately on the day on the international release date for that. But you know, it's it's gonna be a cool change of pace to actually support another 
really, really good developer. Um, a developer I really, really do respect, which is Valve. Um, and more about Valve in the next segment, actually. So for anybody who's a fan of FPSs, I believe that, you know, Left 4 Dead is a very, very good game to purchase. And, you know, the fact that it is, um, you know, you know, what do you call this? It's catered to a multiplayer experience. And I might not be a multiplayer gamer, but I think this is a game that will want me to explore that, you know, that side of gaming again. Um, it was fun back in the day when we were playing Street Fighter and everything, but that was pretty much, you know, um, my history of multiplayer games. But, you know, these games that are really, really customized to fit a multiplayer experience, and, you know, with internet now being so common and everything, I, I think it is high time for me to actually, you know, play multiplayer games and just multiplayer games, you know what I mean? Um, as much of a single-player player as I am, uh, I think, you know, these multiplayer games are definitely... These kinds of multiplayer games are definitely um, worth a look. Um, I don't think I'll be completely addicted to it, hopefully not, because I still have, you know, a huge backlog of games that I have to go through. I was actually thinking yesterday that I don't think I've finished Mario Galaxy yet, which is kind of embarrassing, which is strange, actually. I actually didn't notice I didn't finish it, or at least I can't remember the ending anymore, so I might go back to that, too. So anyway, um, again, Left 4 Dead, um, probably the most unique shooter coming out this year or anytime soon. And again, coming from an amazing company, Valve, who also made the most innovative FPS ish game last year which is portal which i'll be talking about in just a few so that's it for highest score by left for dead if you have the dough for this christmas if you like fps's you'll never uh, i don't think you'll regret it This week on Game Over, we'll be talking about another Valve game, which is Portal, which came out um, roughly, you know, a year ago, and it was basically the Left 4 Dead of last year's. I say that because it's that, you know, it's that game that takes the FPS genre into a different direction. Um, not really a, you know, completely new FPS experience, but more like taking elements from the FPS and, you know, spinning it around, giving it a little twist and um, making a very, very unique game that, you know, doesn't, you know, exist anywhere else. Um, you know, Portal is one of those games that basically I think, you know, it's like um, an independent film winning an award in the Academy Awards or something like that. It's that game that, you know, 
goes under the radar, really, if you're not a gamer gamer, you'll never even know about this game. It's not like Mario, it's not like Zelda or Gears of War that everybody knows about, and basically everyone wants to play, but Portal is basically the game that is sort of the polar opposite of these highly marketed games. It's a game that you have to seek out, and is so, so good in every single way. Um... You know, I it's one of those rare games that I really don't have any complaints about at all. I mean, again, it knows its identity. And, you know, those are the games that I really, really like and appreciate. And, you know, developers should really focus more on that kind of game. That it just knows what it is and basically gives you that sort of experience. And it doesn't promise things that it won't deliver. And, you know, I guess it... It also is a testament to, or it it also says a lot of the developer. Um, much like Blizzard, Valve is a developer that doesn't overpromise. In fact, um, they overdeliver most of the time because they don't really talk about things. Um, you know, I guess just to illustrate the point more, um, not to diss on Peter Molyneux or anything, but take Fable One for example. Um, it's a game that basically promised so much and under-delivered so badly when the game came out. And only when Fable 2 came out do the, you know, do the promises seem fulfilled. Um, even then, you know, it's such a huge, huge promise, you know, that it's this game that where you can do anything and everything that you do has a consequence and basically contributes to you as a whole. I mean, you know, that kind of promise is just too highfalutin, too idealistic, for any game in our lifetime to actually deliver. But these kinds of games, like, um, say, StarCraft, Diablo 3, um, WoW, or in the case of Valve, uh, Portal and Left 4 Dead, there are details about this game that, you know, they're not discussed at all. They, they don't really say much about the game, except that this is what the game we're making. It's basically, this is how it plays, and that's it. They don't really tell you that, ooh, it's a free-roaming experience and all of that, and, you know, it's a sandbox, complete open-world kind of thing. It's those kinds of games that promise those things that really just shoot themselves on the foot. Uh, they basically promise a player all these crazy things and then don't deliver at all. I mean, what up with that, right? Um, so, you know... It's these games that really know their identity, that really tend to over-deliver. Um, so, that said, I mean, Portal is probably the best product that Valve has um, uh, has produced in the uh, latest memory. And, you know, Valve is a very, very competent developer. Um, in its day, when Half-Life came out, it was the best FPS out there, just when, you know, the FPS genre was really growing and, you know, creating all this mass appeal to it. Um, so, you know, definitely Valve knows it's first-person shooters, and that's why they can produce games like Portal, like Left 4 Dead. So what basically is Portal, anyway? So, um, it's not your traditional FPS in that you basically shoot things and kill things. It's more like as the title suggests, um, it's a game wherein you shoot portals. Um, basically, shoot two kinds of portals: one blue, one yellow, or orange. Was it? Um, and basically, you shoot these portals, and when they exist, 
when both of them exist in, in space, then you can go into one portal and come out the other. So very, very basic premise, but it creates a very unique puzzle experience, really. Um, so, you know, if Left 4 Dead is an FPS survival horror mashup, this one is more of a FPS puzzle mashup. Um, puzzle platformer mashup, in fact. Um, so, you know, that was that's basically the premise of it. And, you know, that in itself is pretty pretty amazing already. When I first saw the, the footage of Portal and, you know, saw what they could actually do with it, that you can basically loop yourself and constantly move. I mean, the technology itself blew me away. I mean, imagine this. Uh, you basically shoot um, a portal uh, directly below you and shoot another portal uh, um, directly above you on the ceiling. So you basically fall through the portal on your floor and fall through the, you know, fall from the ceiling because that's where that portal is connected. And you basically enter this endless loop of falling. So that's basically, you know, where the whole puzzle elements of Portal come from that, you know, um, it, you just have to play the game to actually really appreciate it. I, I've told um, a lot of people about the game and have always had difficulty describing the game to them. So it's, you know... It's it's just so interesting. Um, it's one of those things that, hey, why didn't I think of that kind of thing, right? That, um, you know, it's also momentum-based. So, you know, if you fall from a higher height and fall into that portal, you carry your momentum with you, your inertia with you, and basically it can catapult you and shoot you farther into the level. I mean, it's hard to describe... In words, you really have to see it visually to actually understand it, right? But, you know, suffice it to say, that it was the premise of the game. And what makes this story even more compelling to me is that this idea of portals in an FPS game came from students. They came from um, DigiPen um, students, in fact. I think it was their thesis or, like, basically their final project for um, their 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 studies, and they basically created this sort of prototype, I suppose, that showed, that demonstrated this thing, and um, it just so happens that, you know, the Valve guys were there, and they basically picked up these students, this team of students, and gave them a job in freaking Valve. I mean, it was just brilliant, right? Um, and they basically get this concept of a game that, turned out to be the best concept of the year, uh, if you ask me. Um, there was no more refreshing game than Portal last year. Um, and in as much as it was pretty short, it was just roughly seven hours long. You could finish it in one sitting, honestly. I finished it in two. Um, it was still so satisfying, really. Um, uh, even if this game was priced at $50 just for Portal and not the orange box, doesn't come with episodes of Half-Life 2 or Team Fortress, I think this game would definitely be worth it still because it was just so entertaining. Um, well, very, very well paced. I mean, the premise itself, you know, the Portal gun, um, being able to go through portals through in a level was interesting enough, but the thing is, they, they basically made a very, very compelling story to go with that as well. That you're basically, I mean, 
a little spoiler for those guys who haven't played it or want to know about it, but um, basically you're in this institute or something like that, an experiment, so to speak. You're like a hamster that this computer, this artificial intelligence is asking to do stuff. So you basically get your hands on the portal gun. You go through small levels, like five-minute levels, wherein you just basically have to get from point A to point B using your portal gun. And, you know, you just go through that. And it seems that you're just going to go through this over and over and over again, much like these Flash games you play. Um, while they might be entertaining, you know, they can get pretty old pretty fast. But the good thing about this game is it paces it really well. Every level um, basically teaches you one new trick that you can do with your with your portal gun. And it culminates in this last chapter, which is basically where all the story happens, right? You, you think you're just going to go through another one of those levels, those, you know, test levels. Now suddenly you have to escape. Now suddenly you have to escape this AI, which is pretty much toying with you and trying to trick you and trying to kill you, trying to experiment with you, basically, treating you like a white mouse in a freaking lab, right? So you, you basically escape. And this level is basically longer, I think, than all the level, the first levels combined, um, if I remember correctly, at least. You know, even that in itself is a very, very refreshing take on the story. I mean, you'd think that an FPS doesn't have much of a story, but this game has, I think, uh, a more rich, more satisfying story than even Halo. I mean, sorry to hate on Halo and everything, but, you know... Um, Halo is basically a war movie, a, a, a war flick, a war game, and that's basically it. You fight aliens, and that's it. And, you know, uh, it takes a lot of sci-fi themes, of course, that these halos and everything and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I, I don't even remember much of it because it's not that interesting to me. But basically, this whole... In Portal, I mean, the story itself is pretty good because... You know, it talks about an AI intelligence and characterizes it very, very well because it's the only voice you hear throughout the game. So it even becomes more human than even Master Chief because Master Chief doesn't even talk, for goodness sakes. I mean, the thing is, you know, it takes that AI and characterizes it, personifies it so much that it even feels more real than the character itself in Portal. I mean, the Portal person doesn't even talk, right? The girl, I believe doesn't even talk. So it's kind of, you know, the juxtaposition of that. It's very, very interesting because it's a robot. It's clearly a robot. You kill the robot in the end, and yet it's more real to you than yourself, which is kind of interesting, actually. And, you know, again, the, the premise of this whole, you know, um, it's just man versus AI kind of dynamic. Man versus AI, man versus AI. But I guess that dynamic we're in, you feel more like the robot than the AI itself kind of is more interesting. It, it, it tickles some of my senses, my sensibilities, at least for me. And I might be, you know, over-exaggerating this whole brilliance of the story of Portal. But really, I mean, you know, because it was such a tight experience, such a very, very concise game, then, you know, everything, all of the story just really was easily was that more easily absorbed by my mind you know there wasn't a lot of clutter about it it was just you versus the ai versus the levels you were in and you know it just makes for a more cohesive experience a more you know unified experience that i can really understand and i can't complain about you know it was just brilliant as 
much as it is a weakness of this game that it's only seven, six hours long. It's also a strength, because if they made it any longer, then it might have diffused the experience altogether. And, you know, the cake and everything. I mean, it's just so brilliant. I mean, little touches. If you want more from the story, then you can play it again. Read all the graffiti on the walls, and, you know, there are inside jokes there or something. You know, some humor, some game humor, I suppose. And everything, and you know the whole cake premise. Is there a cake in the end? I'll give you a cake in the very at the very end, which is strange coming from an AI um, character, right? But you know, there that that's where the charm of this game really is. It doesn't take itself too seriously, and yet it has a very serious vibe. It's, it's you know, it's not something that you take yourself out of. Um, the experience is very intelligible, very understandable, and, you know, you really get into the game quickly. Um, and, again, it's paced so well that you never get out of it. It's short enough that, you know, you, since you just play it in one go or two goes, then you never really leave that atmosphere of the game, which is a problem in other games right now. If it's too long, then... You basically play other games and just to distract yourself and everything. And then it j just basically takes you out of the whole experience of that particular game that you just left for another game. But again, you know, um, brilliant brilliant design choice by Valve by making this game really just a small experience. And that just heightened the whole experience all the more. Um, it's actually one of those games, I think, that shouldn't have a sequel because... It's already legendary in itself. Um, of course, you know, if they want to milk it, then they can easily milk it. Whatever Portal game comes out afterwards, I would buy immediately without even having to look at reviews or anything because I'm sure, I'm just so sure it's going to be good. But I really sort of, sort of hope that they never make another Portal game because it's just so iconic already. It's, it's one of those, I guess... And the equivalent of movies, it's a cult movie already. Um, but even more than that, because I think it does have a mass appeal, uh, unlike a lot of these cult games, cult movies, right? Um, it just so happens that only real gamers or people who really tried to, <coughs> excuse me, really tried to know about all these unique games, all these unique game experiences would actually know Portal, right? So, again, you know, Valve just does a very, very good job with this game. Again, knowing the identity of the game really helps. Knowing how to pace the game, of course. Knowing just, you know, what would make the game very, very fun is very, very essential. And, of course, a brilliant soundtrack as well. I've been playing the song, Still Alive, since the beginning of the show, uh, beginning of this episode, and... I'll be playing it at the very end as a whole for those of you who are interested in it. Um, so, you know, it's just so cool. It's a game that... It's one of those rare games that really meshes together very, very well. Again, like I said earlier, it's a game that I have no complaints about at all, even if I try to think about it right now. I can't, I can't, I can't say anything, really, because it just knew itself so well. It just knew what it wanted to do and it did it pretty pretty darn well. I mean, you know that whole last level of Portal? It was brilliant. I mean, you know, when I was playing it, like, oh my god, this is what they were trying to do. It's it's one of those moments, right? But anyway, um, 
I think I've been babbling too much about this game already, but you know, if you haven't played Portal, grab it, definitely. Um, Orange Box, for sure. Um, you'll get basically five games. Definitely well worth the $50, or maybe even $40 that it's worth now. I unfortunately do not have the Orange Box for some reason, because I can't, I can't buy it for the PC. And I actually want it for the PC. It's not being sold here for some reason, I think. You know, the game has problems or has issues. I don't know. I actually never heard of that. It's so strange. But I don't know if I'm going to pick it up for the PS3 or something. Because it's too much FPS for a console for me. And I play my FPSs on PCs. So, I don't know. Um, maybe, hopefully, Valve, if you're listening, re-release the game for the PC, please, please. Because I want my copy of the Orange Box desperately. So again, Portal, um, one of those games that I was so, so glad to play. I've, I've, I've never played it twice, in fact, but, you know, it's just that satisfying a game, really. Um, after playing, I was just so happy with it, have, happy to have experienced it. And you should, too, because it's one of those games that, that really do push the industry forward. And these are the games that everybody should be making. So Portal, excellent game. Pick it up. So this week on Sandbox, we'll be talking about DLC, which is downloadable content. So keeping in theme with the whole Valve thing, everybody would be, I guess most of you would be familiar with Steam, which is basically the download service of Valve, which has pretty much revolutionized the whole DLC thing, to be honest, because it's one of those more popular download, download services. It doesn't just carry Valve games, in fact. It carries other games, so you could, while you can pick up Portal here, you can pick up Half-Life and Team Fortress and Left 4 Dead eventually. It also houses some other um, games. Um, what games those are, I'm actually not really sure, because I don't use Steam myself. But that's more of a problem of location, again. Um, being in the Philippines, it's sort of difficult to, you know... Um, give off your credit card information to companies in the U.S. because I honestly don't know what's going to happen. So um, while I have downloaded stuff on my Wii, uh, got Mega Man 9 on that and a couple of other games here in the Philippines, while that works very, very well, uh, you know, I'm not too familiar with Steam as a whole yet. I mean, it's not that I don't want to use it, but it's more like for a Filipino, you're sort of averse to using all these things because you sort of expect it to be non-existent here. I mean, case in point would be the PSN network, uh, the PlayStation Store. Um, when I had to sign in my account because I wanted to download my demos and everything, I actually didn't find the Philippines in the freaking country list. So there you go. I mean, it's sort of like that. And I sort of expect something similar in Steam. Although, you know, I'm pretty sure the Philippines will be there. But, you know, I just... That kind of thing. Um, in my experience, just all these things, these downloadable stores and everything, just don't really exist in the Philippines. I mean, 
you know, in the third world, these things don't exist, even if you do have internet and everything. So I guess that's why I haven't really looked into it. But anyway, using that as a segue to DLC, which is downloadable content, you know, um, is it the future of video games or not? I mean, and I uh, talk about DLC in the most, in the broadest sense possible. Um, basically talking about episodic content as well. DLC that's free or not free. DLC that's basically, you know, just there to augment the gaming experience and everything. And, you know, it's it's all over the place, place really. Um, DLC, I mean. Sorry about that. That was my phone. <laughs> so, um, it's everywhere, really. Um, and it actually is a very, very good marketing thing for video games these days. I mean, because, say, like, Professor Layton or something. Um, you can unlock certain puzzles online, I believe. But honestly, it's not like you're downloading it. It's more like you're unlocking it. It's in the game already. But if you basically just interact with the internet with the game, then you get more content. Which is, of course, um, controversial in its own right. But, you know, I'm not going to get into that because um, that's a completely different topic, I think. Um, but, you know, suffice it to say... Um, keep using that. I, I should really find some other words. But anyway, um, so DLC, right? A lot of people argue that, you know, they've debated about it. And the debate basically um, revolved around the idea of whether or not DLC will be good for the industry. But, you know, to me, uh, well, you know, the argument really is that if whether or not it's going to be good or bad. But a lot of people also talk about the fact that whether or not developers or publishers should support DLC. And the thing is, for me, it's not really a question of whether they should or shouldn't, but more like a question of what are they going to do with it. Because the thing is, um, DLC is going to happen whether or not you want it or you don't. Uh, it's just a natural transition of the industry because the industry is all about digital content. And the thing is it's only a natural transition for it to go into digital distribution of their, of their content and, you know, just basically get rid of CDs and DVDs altogether. The material, you know, the, the, the material itself that contains the content. Um, and as much as I think it is a very, very good novelty to have DVDs in the box of, you know, everything you have, to be honest, you know, I see, I look at my room and I see a lot of clutter already. And I think, you know, moving forward, just, you know, not that I don't enjoy all of these things. I'll enjoy, you know, showing people, hey, look, I actually have that game and this box and it has nice box art and everything. As much of a novelty as that is, I think moving forward, really, the, you know, um, the normal household will not have books. A normal household will not have all these DVD cases anymore. I mean, you know, 20 years from now or something like that, 50 years from now. Because, yeah, of course, a lot of people will still have all these, you know, very retro um, tastes and will still keep all those boxes. And I sure will, to be honest. But, you know, again, moving forward, not talking about myself, but talking about where everybody's going to be in the future, I think, you know, um, everything's just going to be so freaking sparse. Everything's going, going to be in just this one hard disk. All your books, all your games, everything, everything that can be digitized will be digitized. So, you know, um, all, but then, you know, after that, of course, please, please, anybody who is planning to, you know, 
basically have DLC, have that option to, for us, you know, enthusiasts to have that option to give us the box of the game and a DVD. Because, you know, it's still worth something to have something tactile and something you can touch. You know, uh, so as of now, I think I can still squeeze some stuff in my room. You know, not that full, I mean, but, you know, I'm beginning to see my, basically, game stack being thicker than my book stack already, which is kind of strange. So, you know, again, DLC, it will happen. But what, you know, what I'm going to try to discuss now is, or what I'm going to try to point out is, I hope it's going to be for the better of the industry. I hope you know, developers, publishers don't abuse it because, you know, in as much as it is a good thing and everything, I hope they just don't um, mess around with it too much, don't try to milk people out of it, especially kids, you know. um, The thing is, they're more susceptible to just buying all these, you know, little um, $1 things and everything. And the thing is, you know, I think that's sort of an injustice. If you can't include it, in the game itself, then you should. Um, and developers really, really should. Uh, it's only content that really augments the game itself that should be charged. Um, anything that should have been included in the game to begin with should be included in the game, much like... Um, or at least uh, make it available in the future for free. Um, so what do I mean by that? So basically, like... In the case of Blizzard, the patches that basically improve the balance of the game should be offered for free, or should have been in the game from the very beginning. But in this case, since you are iterating, iterating on the game, then yeah, you basically just really have to have it as a download, right? And Blizzard does that very, very well, and I think that's one of the things that made them very success, very, very successful in the years. So and. In the case of content that should be paid for, then I think things like um, episodic content should be paid for. But again, the the thing here is the the touchy point here is the price, of course. So um, as for like say Little Big Planet, the 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 costumes, I'm sort of halfway in this. You know, I don't really know if I have an opinion on that, because some costumes are for free, some costumes are paid for, right? Um, And I think I won't be really paying for the costumes that I want, because I think they should be free, or that they should be customizable by the character. But of course, you know, I could be wrong. If there are really, really cool costumes out there that maybe you can dress up as a colossi or as a colossus, in Shadow of the Colossus, or something really, really cool like that, then fine, I'll pay for that, but honestly, you know, I don't see myself really spending all that much for costumes and everything. But, you know, um, as for other games, say, like, the rhythm game genre, I think DLC for that is very, very apt, very, very appropriate for that particular genre, because the thing is, you're pretty much getting the song itself. And songs on iTunes these days are, have been um, pretty much um, pinned down to $1. And the songs, I believe, in Guitar Hero or Rock Band cost, what, an average of $2 maybe per song? And that, to me, is a very, very, very fair, fair price because you're basically paying for the song. You own the song, which is $1. So that basically leaves another dollar 
for the programming aspect of the game. That basically the the notes that you have to play um, cost one dollar. And how many difficulties are there? Four: standard, easy, normal, hard, and um, expert. Right. So I think that's definitely a very very good price point, and I think they they, they hit that on they hit that nail on the head right away. So I think I would encourage them to do that because you know in Rock Band basically your library is so huge already, and with its backwards compatibility and being able to, to basically get the games you got you downloaded from Rock Band One and take it to Rock Band Two is just brilliant. I mean, you know, um, to me that also helps actually the music industry now that you know um basically piracy is killing the music industry already um it's really a good thing that video games are sort of giving them a helping hand a lot of um artists and bands actually are oddly enough releasing their albums debuting them on these games on rock band or guitar hero and that just is a testament i guess to I use that word again, testament. But anyway, that's... <laughs> I'll have to expand my vocabulary for next week. But anyway, um, yeah, um, it just shows how powerful the video game industry is and how well they did this whole DLC for the rhythm genre itself. That, you know, artists are paying attention. That artists see it as a viable venue to have their albums debut in. And that's really, really brilliant, I think. Um but, you know, um, I really just hope that DLC going forward is going to be very good for the industry. Hopefully it's going to curb piracy and really give the developers and publishers what's due them, you know. But also, again, like I said, hopefully the publishers do not abuse this. Hopefully they, they don't think this is this as a sort of um, capitalistic opportunity. And hopefully they just use that as a venue to really push the industry forward, to really push, I guess, the lifestyle of people forward. Um, it's supposed to be a good thing. And, you know, um, if they just screw it up and just make it um, this venue for more revenues and everything, ooh, that's sort of um, rhyming right there. Well, anyway, uh, if they use it as a venue for increased revenue, then I think that's going to be a, a bad place to go into, and it might just kill the whole revolution of DLC even before it starts. Of course, it has started, and a lot of people are doing it very, very well. And hopefully, that continues because I really do look forward to um, a future wherein you know uh, my room basically has nothing there, or at least only the things I want in there for the things that I can digitize and that are more convenient for me to digitize and I will digitize them, right? And, you know, getting rid of all this clutter, getting rid of all this plastic, you know, wasted things. I mean, I'm not an environmentalist, but, you know, I, I do uh, appreciate technologies that would help um, protect the environment and everything. I mean, you know, I just want to do my fair share as well. So even that in itself is um, enough reason, ample reason for DLC to exist. To basically get rid of all this waste, get rid of all this clutter, all this physical um, waste, I suppose. Because it does take a lot of resources to produce all these discs, all these plastic um, boxes, all this paper and everything. And, you know, um, if it really will contribute to humanity as, you know, as sort of 
<laughs> um, messianic as that sounds, if it will contribute to the betterment of society in itself, and I'm all for it, and I think DLC is a really, really powerful tool to achieve that. And um, moving forward, I really do look forward to um, maybe playing Final Fantasy XIV just as a DLC. By then, probably, you know, the internet's going to be so fast that, you know, a Blu-ray disc uh, will just take a few hours to download. Hopefully, that's how it's going to be. Um, and, you know, hopefully it really does curb um, piracy significantly. Uh, be, because as somebody, as a... Pr- as a practitioner in the industry, I really would appreciate if people would spend for the games they actually play. So um, that is, of course, a selfish uh, motivation. But yeah, so, um, hopefully that happens in the future. So yeah, so that's basically it for this week. So as promised, I will leave you with um, the full "Still Alive" um, song, and hopefully you enjoy this Valve special this week. Again, pick up uh, Left 4 Dead if you're interested in FPS survival horror stuff. But if you're just interested in games itself, I would highly, highly recommend checking out and buying Purchasing Portal because it is still one of those games that I hold high esteem. So there you go. Uh, That is episode 7 of The Kong Gamer. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully I wasn't sleepy throughout the whole thing. And uh, I'll see you guys next week. So here it is, Still Alive. I'm making a note here, huge success It's hard to overstate my satisfaction Aperture science We do what we must because we can For the good of all of us Except the ones who are dead But there's no sense crying over every mistake You just keep on trying till you 